Buckle up. It's <laughs> season four. I loved that. I love that you do this every time. It makes me really happy. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Welcome to Parenthood Pals. <laughs> I'm Kayla Poyer. And I'm Melissa Fyatt Johnson. It's a new season. And as is tradition around here, it's just Caleb and me because we like to, you know, start and end things with the core pals, you know? And yeah, yeah, indeed. A lot to unpack. We are gathered here today to discuss... <laughs> Parenthood Season 4, Episode 1, Family Portrait. It was written by Jason Kadams, directed by Lawrence Trilling. It originally aired on September 11th, 2012. And here is the DVD synopsis. Ooh. The Braverman family gathers for a family portrait. Meanwhile, Julia and Joel struggle to adjust to their newly adopted son's behavior. Mark proves his commitment to Sarah, while she proves her worth as an assistant to photographer Hank Rizzoli. <laughs> Is this the first season premiere that's had a previously on? I don't remember that. Uh, I would believe you. I could be totally incorrect, but it felt, I was not expecting it. Maybe I should say that. I was not expecting it previously on. And I thought it actually kind of made sense because I felt like the last season finale did have a few dangling things more than usual. Yeah. It's like, well, what's happening? Oh, right. They adopted Victor. And oh, right, Jasmine and Crosby got married. And yeah, I think I was just like, oh, let's set up my notes during the previously on because I already know what happens. I just watched it. I did a podcast episode about all of these. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But, you know, for anyone who's wondering what's been happening in the intervening months, luckily, one of the characters is there to tell us. Lila Hirschfeld. <gasps> Mom. You are not seriously comparing my relationship with Mark to Lila Hirschfeld. Crosby swore she was the one, and they broke up two weeks later. Yet there she is for all eternity in our family picture. Mom, they were 24, she wore a crop top. Anyone could have seen that coming. Mark and I are engaged. Uh-huh, yeah. Oh, they are? We're working on it. <laughs> you guys be careful, Drew. Amy likes you just the way Please. you are. Sir, would you not no, distract him? He's starting to bulk up for Amy's homecoming, all right? Well, how's the oh, job? Amy's been away. Great, Dad, great. <laughs> really? No, Dad, I'm trying to transition out of bartending. It's rough out there. Oh, you are. Come on. <laughs> New job. Family only, that's the policy. You can thank your brother Crosby for this. He's her brother? <laughs> That answers so many questions I've had for the last 53 episodes. <laughs> I wondered why Sarah and Crosby were always sort of palling around. I guess they're siblings. That's good to know. But no, in all seriousness, it was interesting the way that they just slipped in the answer to, oh, they're engaged. I was curious about that. I was not curious if Amy had been away and I... Continue to be totally baffled by Zeke insisting that Drew needs to bulk up for that. I, I did not understand why he did. But okay, <laughs> I was curious about that. And I do think it's cool that she wants a new job. So anyway, those, yeah. are, those are my well, hot Well, since takes. you mentioned Amy, maybe well, let's flash forward just a little bit because I only took one note yeah. on the whole Amy storyline. I barely story took line, anything. And it was, wow, their reunion was lackluster. Yes, underwhelming. <laughs> I was like, poor Drew. He was really... Maybe she's not as into it post-camp. Yeah, 
he was really excited to see her and she wasn't. And it reminded me of the book Forever by Judy Bloom. And I don't know if this is what happened. I really don't remember. But in Forever by Judy Bloom, the main character has sex for the first time with this with this guy. And it's a healthy relationship. It's good. The book's a little bit graphic. That's what people remember about it. A lot Ooh. of preteen girls. That's what they learned. That's how they learned about sex. And they just like read this book. I was one of them. And um, anyway, then she literally goes to camp falls for someone else and realizes she wants to break up with the original guy. And I am not, Uh I'm not saying that's what happens on parenthood. I really don't remember, but it feels like Amy's life has changed since camp and she, you know, Drew's life hasn't except he's, I guess, bulkier. I didn't really notice. He was wearing this like that, you know, sleeveless t-shirt, but he kind of looked the same and I found that precious. But anyway, it feels like maybe she's over it. Perhaps she is. Or maybe it's just awkward. You know, time passes and, and sometimes you don't know how to reacclimate. Maybe it's fine. But I hope so. I still like her. Yeah. And Drew was so happy to see her. Like, it was precious. Yeah. Well, let's discuss that photo okay. that the camera lingered on <laughs> a couple times. Yeah. It really. It was weird. <laughs> it, it was like so clearly pasted together. I thought. And the kids all looked strange and no one looked younger. Crosby had the exact same haircut that he now has that he didn't have in the past. You know, I mean, I get that that was even farther in the past, but still. So I guess now we know he's returning to an old style. Yes. (laughs) I did appreciate once I paused on the picture, they clearly had a plaid theme going. (laughs) They were all wearing plaid. But I do want to briefly discuss our favorite subject. Math. (laughs) So Sarah says that Crosby was 24 in the photo. Okay. And so Julia is at least one year younger than Crosby. At least. Was she already married? I mean, 23 is not unbelievable. And I feel like they did say, didn't they say that she and Joel met while in college? I think, I think we have established that. So that is okay. The real question I had is, How many years are there between Sarah and Crosby? Three. We've established this. Oh, we have? Yes, because in that episode where Sarah has the Sound and the Fury paper, Crosby said that he copied it three years later. And I think that's how I learned that he was 35 in season one, which means he's like 38 or 39 now, which means 24 for Crosby was how many years ago? Well, okay, this is good because I think the hypothetical that I did work out will basically apply here. Because at the end of the previous season, Sarah explicitly said that she was 40. Yes. I'm 40. So let's say that Crosby is 37. Okay. Three years younger. Although at the beginning of season three, it was her 40th birthday. So in theory, now she should probably be 41. I think she's 41 now. Okay. So the photo is 14 years old. I guess so. Then. Yeah. But Max is in it. Yeah. And Max turned 10 in season two at his amazing Andy party. Damn. I mean, he's a baby, right? He's a baby in the photo, if I'm remembering. Yes, he is a baby in the photo, although with like a weird pasted on. Oh, no, it's Hattie that looks so bizarre in the photo. (laughs) Max is Adam's holding him anyway. Yeah. 
I think we may have thought about this more than they Max did. should be like 11 or 12 at the beginning of season four. Yeah. And if the photo is 11, 12 years old, I don't know. Yeah. Then Crosby would need to be like five years younger than Sarah. Whatever. Yes, we are overthinking it. <laughs> no, I think maybe they underthought it. We love you, creators of Parenthood. But I'm just saying we have taken a lot of notes and I'm sure you did too, but still. Well, one thing I should just acknowledge we should acknowledge Sarah Ramos is now listed as a guest star, not in the main credits, Yeah. but Jolo Maradueña is in the main credits. Yeah. Things are changing season four. And so then I thought it was kind of cool that there was like a scene with the two of them, because I don't know if Hattie and Victor will ever have another scene together on the entire show. Cause you know, she, she just comes back as a guest star and I don't know how likely she is to interact with Victor. And so it was, it was like a little bit of a passing the baton scene where they're looking at all yeah. those photos and everything. Yeah. I liked that scene a lot. I did too. I liked it. I would have pulled a clip, but they hardly say anything. Yeah. And there's hardly any music. Did you notice that? Like it comes in at the very end, but my second watch, I was really noticing how she's looking at all these pictures and reading, you know, I was reading the captions along with her and there was no music. And I found that very effective. I really liked that. You know, it was just, it felt like what would really happen if you were sort of overcome by emotion, you know, like it's not like music suddenly yeah. plays in the background. It's yeah, it was really beautiful. My favorite caption was her as a Girl Scout. And the caption was, we do need those stinking badges. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was clever. That was clever. Well, so back to the photo. What do you think of Camille's family-only rule? I have a pretty strong opinion about that because Mark and I were together for nine years before we got married. And so I really didn't love this distinction that marriage means now you're in it, you know, because that was something that I think I've maybe even talked about this before. I, I, I hated how legitimized certain couples were around Mark and me when we weren't married yet. And I was like, but they've been together for a fraction of the, <laughs> the time, you know? And also, I mean, not to say that marriage doesn't matter because for whatever reason, I really wanted to get married. I can't even fully explain it since I'm not religious or anything. But I, I at the same time, Mark and I were very committed to each other, the whole relationship before we were married. You know, we never took a break. We never cheated. We were just as serious before as we were after. And marriage doesn't mean people can't get divorced or have affairs or, you know, I just in some ways like marriage is maybe supposed to be some sort of guarantee, but it's not. And I actually think it's maybe a little bit arbitrary at best and <laughs> naive at worst <laughs> to think otherwise. And so I'm a little surprised that Camille with her in the same episode talking about belonging to a commune and, you know, all these thoughts. I'm Good like, point. yeah, is this the sort of person who's like, you have to be married to be in the photo? And also, is she the sort of person who would care that wouldn't she find it funny that Crosby's old girlfriend is in this photo? Like, wouldn't that just be a great story? She seems like the sort of character not to get hung up on this stuff is, I guess what I'm saying. You know, you might wonder... Would this happen in Berkeley? <laughs> I'm looking for an excuse to shine off that old chestnut. <laughs> I thought the rule kind of made sense, although you just poked <laughs> brilliant holes in it. It doesn't necessarily maybe make sense for the character. In a sort of hypothetical sense, I think the rule is understandable, but I do question not including fiancés. Yeah. I mean, if 
Crosby was just dating this girl for a while. Yeah. And Camille is comparing that to Sarah being engaged to someone that she has been on and off with for like three years. Yeah. That's different. And I think that should certainly be acknowledged. To me, it seemed like more of a slap in the face to Sarah, though, because it seemed like Camille admitting that she doesn't trust Sarah to marry someone until it's actually a done deal. I, I agree. I didn't like that. And I, I, I understood why Mark's feelings were hurt. You know, I, I did get that. Like, especially when he goes to talk to her. Camille, Sarah and I are uh, engaged, as you know, and I, I think I should be in the family portrait with you guys. Oh, <laughs> Mark, you're so sweet. And we all think you're wonderful. We really do. It's just that, you know, sometimes life doesn't work out the way we expect it to. Because I, I, I know that I don't have a, a ring yet. Or... It's not about the ring. Well, and I know that we haven't said a, a um, hey, Zeke. Hey, Mark. I, I know we haven't set a wedding date yet, but Drew is graduating this year, and we didn't want right. to rush into it until before uh, well, that. But right. it, it is going to happen. Hello. Hi. Um, you know, I'm not going anywhere. I'm in love with her, and I respect family policy, but I, I am a part of your family, and I'm proud to be a part of your family. I guess I want you to be proud of it, too. It's like you're just telling him, I don't think this is happening. And I thought, well, that seems different from what Sarah says to him, which is, oh, honey, you know, she has this weird rule. You'll be in the picture next year. You know, Sarah's comment to Mark is like, we'll be married next year and then you'll be in the photo. Camille's comment to Mark is, don't be so sure. And I thought that was so weird. I don't know. I also, you got to love these annual things on TV shows that only get introduced in later years. You're right. Like, why do we never see a family photo before? It was something I always thought on Gilmore Girls because every year there was a new festival that they have every year. And you're like, well, the whole town's getting decorated and this never happened any previous December. <laughs> and it's like, why don't they just use the same ones every year on Gilmore Girls? There are plenty, but whatever. Yeah, it's fine. And maybe maybe they do do this every year and it's just always off camera. I mean, that's, of course, what they're going for as all the characters allude to it. Jasmine's all like, I had to marry this guy. Joel's like, I wasn't even allowed in the photo. You know, <laughs> somebody said I had to be married three years before I was in the photo. I hope that wasn't Joel because then it's it, like, was it Joel? I think it was Joel. I'm like, well, did you guys get married at 20? Yeah, how old were they when they got her? Anyway, whatever, whatever. I guess Joel could be a lot older. Maybe they met in college, but Joel could have been any age in college. What if Joel's 10 years older than Julia? He could be. I mean, he looks great, but, you know, Erica Christensen, I think, is playing several years older than she is. So certainly the actors could be. Should we look up the age difference between the actors? Or I mean, why not? Here, you look up one of them. I'll look up the other. Uh, she is 39 years old. And he is 44. Okay, so five years apart. I wonder if that's their age difference on the show. I will say Erica Christensen is one year younger than I am, almost exactly. And I believe in a previous episode, the one with Tim, uh, we, <laughs> <laughs> we see her high school yearbook 
And it was like, I think senior year and it was 1997, which is three, that would be three years older. Maybe, maybe Julia is three years older than Erica Christensen because that's Mark's graduation year and he's two years older than I am. Anyway, we have everyone out there. So much math in the season. So much math. Aren't you glad you tuned into this podcast, everyone? (laughs) Where we just like really shake down ages and dates. It's just brilliant. For the six of you still listening. (laughs) Did you think that Mark, I get that he would feel disrespected or hurt feelings. But I also felt like it was a little bit pettier than I would have expected him to be. I don't think petty is the word I would use, but it was very, it struck me as insecure in a way. Oh, that, yeah, maybe that is better. Yeah. Like when he's like, did you fight for me? I thought that feels like a bit of a dramatic statement. Not, and that sounds judgy, but you know, like he is becoming a braver moon. (laughs) That's true. Easily slighted, quick to drama. (laughs) He's just right there. He should be in the photo. But no, I really did think, like, did you fight for me? Feels like something you would say if someone like calls him a son of a bitch or something, (laughs) not just doesn't let him in the photo. I, you know, like for, for a reason that's not personal, a reason that is, uh, you know, a hard and fast rule. I thought that did catch my ear a bit. I'm like, did you fight for me? Okay. And then when he went over there, part of me admired his being so direct, but part of me was like, this is that big of a deal. Really? Like if you were absolutely certain that you and Sarah were going to get married, would you do this? Or would you just be like, mothers-in-law, it's funny, you know, and kind of laugh it off? Yeah. Well, here's here's a question I had. Not that I think rings matter. I mean, I love my wedding ring, but it's very simple. And, you know, I didn't get a separate, like, engagement and wedding ring combo because I'm like, oh, that's so American. We're so, <laughs> just bring us more things, you know, in some cultures. <laughs> it's like, you put the ring on one hand to show you're engaged and then you move it. And I'm like, no, of course, Americans were like, give me another one. I don't, I don't know. It's a, that's a, that's a weird tangent. But anyway, they do mention like twice that there's no ring yet. You know, in that very helpful clip that you provided, Zeke shouts, like, or oh, where's the ring? Like, if you're really engaged, where's the ring? And then at the end, Mark even says that to Kimia, like, I know there's no ring yet. Now, that would make sense to me if this were like the week after the season three finale, you know, and it's like, well, we just got engaged. There's there's no ring. And it was, you know, sort of an impromptu a proposal, which is romantic and sweet. But I believe Joel mentions it's been five months. You know, he says that about Victor. It's also worth reminding everyone, season three ended in February of 2012. I don't know why it ended so early, but it did. So it really had been like six months in real life. And I guess I wondered... If that's sort of a source of insecurity for Mark, like, you know, to be like, I know there's no ring. I'm like, he certainly had enough time for them to go get one. If that really means something to them, I guess I was a little confused why he didn't have one after all that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I get that he's not wealthy. Right. But then just get a simple ring. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I would say Sarah doesn't strike me as someone to be like, well, if it's not a diamond, then forget it. Yeah. I mean... Mine is incredibly, like, reasonably priced. You know, I probably shouldn't say, but I I know it wasn't very much because 
to me, it was all about the meaning behind it, you know, and we're very good with our money. We wanted to like have a down payment on the house and, you know, travel a lot, things like that. And, you know, Sarah seems like the same, but if the symbol matters, then the symbol matters. So, yeah. Well, the photo he's trying to get into is being taken by Hank Rizzoli. New character. This marks the first appearance of Ray Romano on Parenthood. For anyone who doesn't know who Ray Romano is, <laughs> <laughs> he starred in his own series, of course, Everybody Loves Raymond, on CBS from 1996 to 2005. I guess if you don't know him, you didn't love Raymond. I didn't love Raymond. I never seriously tried to watch that show, but I never really had any interest. I found every character annoying. I've never seen an episode. I found him annoying. I found Brad Garrett <laughs> annoying. I found Patricia Heaton annoying. And I found Doris Roberts and Peter Boyle annoying. I oh. guess Ray Romano will never be coming on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not That's so fast. That's the sound of a bridge burning down. No, but I mean, you were maybe going to say more things that Ray Romano had done. If you Were you going to? Well, I was going to say, for Everybody Loves Raymond, he won an Emmy as Best Actor. And he won two more as producer of the show. Oh, cool. When it won Best Comedy. And then after that, he also starred in Men of a Certain Age, which he co-created. I forgot about that show. Which was on TNT for two seasons from 2009 to 2011. So that was right before Parenthood. And that was much more of a comedy drama blend that I think allowed people to see him as more than a stand-up or a sitcom actor and that he actually had some greater substance to him. I really would have thought that I didn't like Ray Romano prior to him being on, like, I, re I remember him very well, like, originally on the show. And I remember my original impression being like, oh, he's really good. And actually... yeah kind of handsome like it, i'd never thought that i before. find him oddly cute too yeah. yeah and i was like oh he's very appealing like even in you know the sort of like grumpy curmudgeon you know, curmudgeon yeah and then later when he was on the big sick i felt the same way I, I found him very likable on the big sick and yeah so those are the two things i know him best from parenthood and the big sick i thought it felt very old school to have hank reading the newspaper so that there could be a ray romano reveal <laughs> when yeah. he took the paper down <laughs> Assuming all the viewers at home are going, who's behind that paper? <gasps> it's Ray Romano. Call Susie. Ray Romano's on Parenthood. <laughs> She's going to want to know. It's like on the movie Swordfish, only what's behind the newspaper is Halle Berry's breasts. <laughs> it's a different sort of reveal. It happens in theater all the time. Really? So that if there's a star in a role, people know they're going to get entrance applause. So you ah. try and plan exactly where the entrance applause is going to be. I remember seeing Hairspray when Harvey Firestein was mm. in it as Edna Turnplaid, and he, he was ironing and he held up like a garment or a towel or something in front of his face at the ironing board. And then he lowered it and goes, Tracy, what are you doing? Or whatever he said. <laughs> That's a pretty good impression. <laughs> <laughs> and then the whole audience, applause, applause, even though they knew who was behind the towel. Right. But, <laughs> but once you see his face, then you get applause. Well, I have a question for you about Hank. Okay. Do you feel like they are just introducing a new character? Or do you feel like he is being set up as... A love interest. I remember the first time that I watched this episode being very nervous because of being such a Mark Sarah fan. And I think 
I was pretty sure he was being brought in as a love interest. What about you? I think so too. And watching it again, it felt to me like they could have avoided that if they wanted to. For instance, in this scene after the photo shoot, it doesn't feel to me really like there's much of any romantic spark between Sarah and Hank. Hey. What are you doing here? What am I doing here? We said 10, right? You're fired. <laughs> what? You're fired. You're fired. It wasn't obvious you were fired yesterday. We're... How can I be fired? It was one day. I mean, look, okay, it wasn't perfect. It was I, my first day. I was nervous. I might have, you know, exaggerated slightly how much experience I had. No, but... you have no experience. No, so I don't, don't have even, none. Don't even well, say no, no, that. No, 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 no you have don't nothing. Even, no, 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 stop no. it. Nada. <laughs> Hey, you lied. I didn't lie completely. You blatantly lied, uh, and you you ruined my best shot. Oh no! What your golden hour? You got a million shots of that family that were beautiful. This is what I'm talking about. See, you have no respect for light. I do have respect for light. It was one shot out of like 300 gorgeous shots, and I mean, what did you expect? You know, with your elaborate screening process, like you didn't even know my first name. Why did Why didn't you fire me yesterday? I needed somebody to help me load the van. (laughs) I do think that's funny. You just, this is not the job for you, so you're fired, all right? Fine. Can I at least get my day's pay? Well, what do you think you earned? (laughs) If that had been the total substance of Sarah and Hank's interaction, I think it might have felt like it was just potentially going to be an employer-employee dynamic. Yeah. Although... Now that we've both said we think they were setting this up, their bickering does feel like, oh, maybe this is like the sandbox in the schoolyard. (laughs) Well, and, you know, I we try very hard not to spoil anything, but I do feel like in my mind, it feels kind of obvious uh that you know i mean he's such a big actor too like if yeah the fact that he's playing it yeah like why would they get ray romano to be on like one episode and then she's fired from this job and then it was like although i guess or even if she wasn't why would you get ray romano to just be her boss yeah like although you never know like they brought in steven weber although they brought him in as a potential love interest and then it or billy baldwin yeah but also love interest (laughs) yeah that was love interest or like sarah only dates bosses (laughs) that's all she does uh so that's why we're nervous mark's the head of the english department did we ever mention that does that do anything yeah i mean i guess they did bring in richard dreyfus for just a couple of episodes so i I suppose it's possible but it I just, I do remember being like, uh uh-oh. Kind of the same way I felt uh uh-oh in season three when John Corbett is, you know, back on, but they're really connecting. And I'm like, so I think part of me was like, God damn it. Like, they just got engaged. Can't they leave it alone? Like, you know, I loved. (laughs) Jason Ritter's show clearly didn't get picked up. Like, come on. You got him. You got him. We don't (laughs) need to do anything else. Let them. You know, you let Crosby get married. You didn't think that the only storylines you could possibly have for Crosby was him continuing to date for the rest of the the series. So why does Sarah need to keep having it be mixed up? You know, I, I think those were all my thoughts. And yeah. so even if I didn't know at the time if I was right, I just had this sort of sinking suspicion that I was. So there's yeah. that. Yeah. To me, what really tipped the scales as far as how are they introducing Hank was having him show the amount of interest that he did in Mark. For instance, 
this final scene. And you can tell your mom, you know, if, if it doesn't work out between you and Junior, I could just Photoshop them out. Small, minimal cost. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm yeah. sure she'll be very happy to hear that. That's all right. Mm -hmm. He's a good guy, right? Where'd you meet him? Does he make a wish, kid? That's good. That's Is he funny. Trick or treating. No, or enjoy yourself. There's a lot of material there. <laughs> Bye. Anyway, look, I was going to call you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, turns out the people at the shoot, they liked you. Yeah, I made a big stink about it. So, um, turns out you're, you're good at the schmooze. And uh, I hate talking to clients, truly. I hate it. I, I get a little sick to my stomach sometimes. Yeah, so that's why I was going to call you. You're not as awful as I originally thought. I'm sorry. Is this some sort of twisted job offer? You got to learn about photography, too. It's yucking it up with clients. You smile. Hey, give me a hug. That's not going to cut it. I can assure you that. I, I, I will learn. Well, I'll call you then. See how it goes. All right, go. Get the hell out of here. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I do want to note that I looked up Romano's age since we're just really all about math in this episode. Yeah. He is nine years older than Lauren Graham. So it's interesting. I think mm. he's sort of presented as, well, they're the same age. So they have that. And I'm like, they're not, actually. If she's supposed to be 11 In fact, years... he's like the mirror image. Oh, it's 11. Okay. Yeah, but still, it's very close, just in the other direction. And so I thought... Anyway, I, I wonder how old his character is supposed to be, but I thought that was yeah. interesting. Yeah. I definitely felt like him taking an interest in Mark made it feel like he had his sights set on her. Well, and... Maybe that's too forceful, but he certainly was uh, intrigued by her and delighted by her in yeah. some way. He even mentions it to Max, who I also want to play this just because I found them really great together. Yeah. Who's that guy? And Sarah's fiance. What is he, six? He is 29. You're a little weird. Yep. I like you. I don't know if I like you yet. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty enjoyable. Hank actually reminded me of Max, like the comment about, well, I needed someone <laughs> to help me load the van. Yeah. I thought, that is something Max would say. That's true. That's like, I didn't want to fire you when I could still get <laughs> free labor out of you. Yeah. I did laugh out loud at that. I did think that was pretty yeah. great. You know, if they are setting this up, as a romance, then I couldn't help but make connections to Luke on Gilmore Girls. And then I realized, oh my gosh, it's super weird how if that's a connection, well, we've already made comparisons between, you know, Mark and Max Medina, both teachers <gasps> of her kids. And then she's got this weird, strange tie to the father of her children, Christopher on Gilmore Girls and Seth on this show. And I'm like, are they just trying to mirror like the three major relationships Laurel I had? Or is that a total coincidence? I just thought if they are going in that direction, were they just sitting in the writer's room being like, you know what we don't have yet? a real gruff guy that she's got like a, you know, where she gets to be the ray of sunshine. And, uh, you know, he's just like her, you know, and I thought. And Gordon was Digger Styles. <laughs> I'm kidding. 
<laughs> he kind of was, you know, he a little was, bit. He was oily, um, you know, he's greasy and and uh, yeah, not as funny as Digger Styles. Not exactly. <laughs> That's my Gordon oh, callback. That's pretty good. I, your impressions delight <laughs> me. Harvey Gordon, just yeah. All today. What, what else can you do? But yeah. So anyway, I thought I thought that was sort of an interesting thing to note. That is well tentative, though we both seem to be about Hank. I did like Ray Romano in this episode. Yeah. He's he certainly is funny, and I feel like someone like him on a show with this semi-improvisational nature, yeah, it's probably a good fit. Like him saying like. Oh, is he Make-A-Wish kid? Do you meet him trick-or-treating? <laughs> those felt like, I'm like, I'm sure those weren't scripted. No. I'm sure just, you know, decades of stand-up yeah. makes Ray Romano good with coming up with little quips. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and Lauren Graham can keep right up. Yeah, as much as I love Mark and Sarah together and felt nervous the first time he was on, it wasn't like with Gordon where I'm like, oh, I hate that guy. Get him off my show. I was like, I do like him. You know, I, I found him immensely likable. And um, and maybe like even I was a little weirded out that I did because I'm like, do I like the gruff sort of curmudgeon? But then I'm like, well, I did love Luke on Gilmore Girls. So I guess I do. If it feels like there might be more under there. And I guess the whole stuff with Max is meant to prove there's more under there. He's not just an asshole who doesn't remember people's names. Although, quick side note, I didn't think that made him an asshole. I'm like, he's photographing these people for an hour. Is he supposed to learn all of their names? Like, the way that she was correcting him as she was lining everyone. Like, like, you mean Trish? Like, oh my God, I can't believe you don't know their names, Hank. I'm like, (laughs) well, it's not like he's going to be teaching them for an entire school year. Like, I don't know my students' names after an hour. You know, I, I learned them in the course of a week or two and so anyway just a quick side note i'm like does that mean he's a dick i don't think it should yeah also going back to our first impressions when we watched it my memory was that sarah suddenly taking up photography felt like so out of left field and maybe just because i knew it was coming Mm -hmm. but it didn't feel as out of left field i thought what she explained about i have some experience it's not recent and she even acknowledged she was embellishing a little bit yeah but i thought well if she was doing graphic design and like publicity for seth's band yeah it kind of does make sense that she would have taken some photos and would have more experience than me you know or you know someone with none yeah and i guess it also kind of just is in keeping with her jack of all trades (laughs) persona i mean season one she was a bartender Season two, she was an inventor or an <laughs> yeah. intern at a shoe company. Turned playwright. <laughs> Turned playwright. Yeah. Last season, I think strictly back to the bartending, maybe writing on the side, like yeah. she was in a class or something. Yeah. Now she's doing photography. I think it makes sense that a person could certainly be interested in lots of things. I think I even brought this up when she started writing. I was like, is she a writer or is she a graphic designer? And then I think people were like, couldn't she be both? And I'm like, yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Just because I can only do the one thing. I can only write. I can't do anything else. That doesn't mean other people aren't just sort of creative by nature and drawn to any job that might be more creative and artistic. It may raise the question, though, of does she have any follow through? with anything yeah maybe not she didn't follow through with either of those i guess she got a reading of a play produced that's not nothing but maybe because it happened insanely fast (laughs) and if it had taken five years would she have 
it was know. just because of her breasts. Even her writing teacher said so. That's right. That's right. You're going to have to use your assets. I can't remember what he said. Oh, <laughs> Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> ah, prom! <laughs> I hate that word. <laughs> well, let's move right along <laughs> to another friendly face. I could eat him with a spoon. Mm-hmm. He's yummy. <laughs> Yeah, in, in spiritual. He is. In, in, in prayerful. Mom, we noticed that Jabbar's been praying. That's wonderful. It is. It is. Yeah, we were just a, a little bit curious. Um, he told us that you explained God in heaven and, and praying to him. Yes, and? And we want him to know about religion. Absolutely, he must. Mm, well, m- must he? I mean, other than its historical context. Well, I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, when you had your children, I can't imagine you would have been thrilled with your mother just bestowing all of her religious ideals onto your children. And we feel like maybe that's more our job as the parents. Mom, we know it came from a good place. It's just that, you know, I don't even go to church anymore, really. Oh, I definitely so, know I- that. And we may not feel exactly the same as you. We think that maybe it's better for you to just let us handle talking to Jabbar about the big questions. I see. Great. Um, just out of curiosity, what are you planning to say to him? And what is your belief system? What's your doctrine? Don't you think the boy deserved just a little bit of clarity on the subject? I'm only, just real quick, I'm only now struck by her saying, don't you think he deserves some clarity on the subject? And then later when he talks to his parents, specifically Camille, he's like, well, what does happen to us after we die? You know, what, what? And she's like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I think it's interesting to note that Renee thinks clarity is important. Whereas Camille thinks, how could a person possibly know this? And I don't think either of them are wrong for feeling the way they do. I think I think those are just two very different viewpoints on religion. I agree. I I took note. Not I didn't connect it to Camille, but that's a great connection. It was my kind of one disagreement with Renee in that scene. It felt like that was sort of her mic drop moment. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, mm, I don't think it actually is as much as you think it is, because it's sort of like saying, don't you think it's better to pretend that you know instead of admitting that you don't? I thought, no, I'm not sure that it is better. Of course, Renee wouldn't look at it as pretending, right? Renee believes this is true, so. True, but she doesn't know that it's true. But I think religious people think they do know that it's true. Like, no diss, but, you know, I think, like, I don't think that a lot of, like, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who are religious that they don't say, like, I could be wrong, but I really have faith that this is it. You know, often it's Whereas I feel like that's the textbook definition of faith. I think it's the textbook definition of faith as well. But there might be something to the fact that you and I aren't religious. So we're like, how could a person really know? Whereas I think people who are religious are like, I just know. I know it in my heart. That's what faith is, knowing it. And so I think... Yeah, good point. Yeah. But I had... I actually appreciated Renee in maybe a surprising way, I was oddly glad 
that there was a character that I think we are meant to like. I mean, yes. I like Renee. Even I like though, her. Yeah. Even though I think she is supposed to be a little like in-law-y. Like, oh, she <laughs> sometimes puts her nose in. But I was like, but I love her. She's a good mom to oh, Jasmine yeah. and a great grandma. I liked that there was a, a likable character representing religion mm-hmm. in a positive way. It's a disconnect between the real world and the media that I can actually appreciate, which is that I feel like there are almost no religious characters depicted on TV. And when they are, it's either like the main idea of the show, right. like Seventh Heaven or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Where like the main character was a pastor or they're fanatics. They're right. crazy and they're like villains. Jane the Virgin is one exception that I thought of where the main character is quite religious. Yeah. And we're not meant to think that it's odd or outdated or her grandmother sometimes lives in the like, what are you thinking? Your religion has skewed you, but you're still supposed to love Abuela too. And And by the end of the show, Abuela has grown a lot, like still very religious, but like has let some of those, sort of shaming ideas about purity and such go, you know, and that's kind of beautiful. Yeah. I was wondering, can you think of any other shows that had religious characters in a uh, positive light, but it wasn't their one defining trait? Gosh, that is a really good question. And right now I can't, but I'll, I'll keep thinking. I'll. I did think maybe just the 10 of us. Do you remember that sitcom? (laughs) I remember the sitcom. Growing Growing Pains. Yeah. And the head of the family was a football coach at a Catholic high school. Uh-huh. And the family was devoutly Catholic, but it wasn't a Catholic show. Right. One of the children, one of the teenage girls, Marie, who was played by Heather Langenkamp from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. She was especially religious, and there was even an episode where she considered becoming a nun. Mm. And it wasn't played for laughs. It was she felt perhaps a sincere calling. Yeah. That was a show I could think of. But, I mean, there's very few. Characters are just kind of godless. On Felicity, Greg Grunberg is a main character in the cast, and his uh, girlfriend and then later wife is Amanda Foreman, Sue's Lessing. And he is quite devoutly Jewish, but more so after he has a near-death experience. But it's not played for laughs. Like It's sort of the way that some people you know, sort of get shaken up after something like that. But they keep it for the entire rest of the show. Like, it really does change him. And I thought that was kind of a cool storyline. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm I'm having trouble thinking of others. But I think you make a really good point. That should happen because yeah. I think the vast majority of people I know who are religious, uh, whether it's Christian or some other, you know, faith, I think are pretty terrific people, you know. And, and I, I think that... Just as I feel strongly that you don't have to be religious to be a pretty terrific person, I also think that it's really unfair for us to paint all Christians as being like homophobic and, you know, just really, uh, yeah, hypocritical and awful. You know, I, I think that that's not usually the case, at least not with people I know. And just how it can fold into your everyday life. I mean, I grew up in a religious family. And it was a big part of our family life. Yeah. But if a show were made about my childhood, it wouldn't have been like set at church. Yeah. You know, it yeah. was it was a part of our life, but it wasn't our whole reason for being, you know. I, 
and that's my whole extended family too. And I just don't feel like that is on TV very much. Yeah. And even to this day, you know, even though I am not personally religious really anymore, I would say that I'm culturally Mm. still Christian a lot because that was such a big part of our family. It was something that unites our family. And so I still find a lot of meaning in the traditions that we have and in symbols of the faith and that kind of stuff, I feel like won't ever go away. I don't know. It was, it was an interesting conflict. I thought to have them bring up because I think it is something that families would deal with. Yeah. I really liked that storyline, even though it was pretty small. I thought that's a cool conflict that isn't like end of the world, really dramatic, you know, uh, sometimes people I think might be tempted to launch into something in a season premiere, you know, like we're just going to have a huge thing. I liked that one. And I thought that they both had really valid viewpoints. You know, I think, you know, is Renee not supposed to share her beliefs with Jabbar? But at the same time, I know for a fact, I would feel the same way as Crosby, you know, just not being religious. I think if I had a kid, I would want people to be sensitive to that. I mean, honestly, I went to a a youth group when I was in high school that I felt was very damaging. Uh, You know, I grew up Catholic and weirdly, I have pretty fond memories of that. Um, My mom and I went to church and I liked the ritual of it. You know, I never agreed with the politics, but I was so young then that I don't think that was really a thing. And I, yeah, I, I liked it. It really wasn't until I went to a youth group with some friends in high school And I mean, they told me things like friends of mine who had different faiths, they weren't Christian. They told me like they were going to hell, you know, that's the, that's the worst one I can think of, but there, there were other examples. And I just felt like they said really awful things that I don't agree with. And I'm not saying that that's what Renee is doing, but I think religion can be very touchy. And, and I think that it makes sense what Jasmine says, like we, we want to talk about the big issues with him. But at the same time, it's not like I think Renee should feel like she should walk on eggshells around her grandson and not share who she is with him. And faith is like such a defining characteristic for her. So, yeah, I I liked it. It felt very layered. And I liked in the subsequent scene that they showed that Jasmine is actually somewhere between Renee and Crosby. I really like that because I don't think it's a totally yes or totally no question. Yeah. So Jasmine agreed yeah, I don't really fancy like taking him to church, but I'm not saying there's no God. And right. I think that is kind of where Crosby was. Yeah. Something else that Crosby said in that scene that kind of took me off his side a little bit was Crosby saying he doesn't want his son belonging to a club that he's not a part of. I didn't like that either. Yeah. And I thought if you had like a philosophical objection to this because you did, I don't know, I would respect your position more. But if it's, Jabbar has no obligation to think or believe like Crosby does. Right. Or like Renee does. Right, right. Either one of them. But as long as what Jabbar believes, I think, as long as what he believes isn't hurting anybody, I think Crosby does have an obligation to be supportive as his father. I liked that line, even though I didn't like... I didn't like it, (laughs) but I liked that he said it because it felt very realistic and human. And also I liked that, 
you know, he hears it and he's like, that probably sounds bad. And Jasmine's like a little bit, you know? And so it wasn't like, (laughs) yeah, it wasn't a terrible fight that happened because he said it or anything, but you know, he had to kind of examine it once he said it and Jasmine didn't just brush it off. She held him accountable, but in a very loving way. And so I thought all that was kind of cool. And, you know, maybe to admit how petty that is to yourself (laughs) that you would say that. But at the same time, I think the thing that no one ever actually says, but I, I would be worried. I mean, kids are really influenced pretty easily, you know? And I mean, true. I don't mean to be dramatic, but I really feel like for a few years that I went to that, that, um, youth group, I feel like there was a little bit of brainwashing going on, you know? And, and it wasn't something that was presented to me as this like loving way of life and that we should love everyone as we love ourselves. And it, it wasn't like what I know that church can be, you know, I actually just recently had um, coffee with a former student and he was telling me about his church and I almost cried. And I said to him that if I had attended a church like that, maybe I would still be religious. Like it was an interesting thing. Cause he said that like, he remembers growing up and went, when, gay marriage became legal, his church like opened their doors and ordered a bunch of cake and married like eight couples that day. And I, I wanted to cry. I'm like, God. And yeah. And so I'm not saying church can't be like that. You know, if it, that's so beautiful, but I do think you have to be careful, you know, kids, they often will believe what they're told. It's tricky to say with someone as young as Jabbar, well, let him decide for himself. And you know, I, I don't know. I, th- I think you have to be careful to present lots of different options. And oof. yeah, that's true. I remember going to confirmation class in the Lutheran church that I was raised in. And one of the other people in the class, her mother was Lutheran, but her father was Catholic. Mm. And the pastor essentially telling her in front of everybody that because her father, I mean, her fa- Catholic is Christian. Yes. <laughs> but he basically said, well, because he's not the right kind of Christian. Right. Who's to, maybe he won't get into heaven. Who's to say? Ugh. And I was like, just, <laughs> and this, we were like 12, 13. Oh, that's intense. And so if Crosby was saying, I don't want my son to be a member of a club I don't belong to, in the sense of, I don't want anyone telling my son that his father right. is a bad person because he doesn't belong to this. Okay, then that then I, I get. don't, yeah, I get that. Yeah. But if it's just, well, I don't want him to participate in something that I don't want to share with him. Well, get over yourself. Yeah. Either He's... participate or I guess forbid the child to be part of it, which I don't think is fair. To right, no. And I think that he should probably get used to this because just religion aside, chances are Jabbar's going to grow up and be into lots of things that his dad's not into. And that yeah, are Adam and Christina so excited about bugs? Right. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. You Were know, my parents so into musicals? Not so much. That's but true. I don't think my mom's supportive. a big poet, you know? Yeah. 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 And I think that's part of being a good parent, actually, is wanting your kid. We've talked about this before, I know, but wanting your kid to figure out who they are and what they're into and not just have them be like a little mini me, you know, and Crosby's kind of lucked out so far everything is he's into jabbar is like that sounds great daddy you know <laughs> let's yeah. do this let's do that let's talk about sports let's talk about 
Infidelity. <laughs> <laughs> Let's I talk hope about. Not into cheating. Yeah. Let's hope not. I got it from you, all right. Or fedoras. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he's into music. He's into, he's like a little performer, like both of his parents, you know. And so I think that maybe Crosby hasn't had to deal with this. And maybe it is throwing him. And maybe it is that it's religion, but maybe it could have been anything, you know. That's an yeah. interesting thought. Well, I think where he ends up is quite sweet. Hey, when I saw you praying the other day, what were you praying about? Different things. Different things? What kind of things? Like, I tell him that to watch over my family, for us all to be happy and stay together Ooh, as a family. Nice. That's nice. And a motorcycle and an Xbox. A <laughs> motor? You can't drive a motorcycle. When I get older. Oh, when you get older. All right, those are good things. Well, I know Grandma told you what she believes in about God and religion, and I thought maybe I should tell you what I believe. You want to hear it? Okay, Daddy. Well, I believe in you. You're my number one guy, okay? And I believe in your mom and all of our family, my mom and dad and my brother and sisters, and um, sometimes, like on a night like tonight, when I'm sitting under the stars with my son, eating delicious cookies, I think, I'm pretty blessed. Blessed by something, you know? Me too, Daddy. I thought that was really nice. I love that Crosby asked Jabbar what he prayed about. Yeah. Because I think it's a nice way to open up another channel of communication between them. Yes. And also, if Crosby has a distrust of religion, which might be fair, it demystifies it a bit for him to see that for Jabbar, at this stage, it's manifesting in a very healthy way. And that also, it looks like Jabbar's going into his room and doing it privately. You know, he's not making a show out of it. It's something that's personal, which because I was raised Christian, I know the Apostle Paul said that's how prayer should be. Mm. And also, I think prayer can have value even if you don't believe there's a literal entity listening to you. It's time to be quiet. It's time to be reflective and to be thankful. That's the same thing as meditation. Or like me keeping a journal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just some time to check in with yourself or with something that is larger than you. I think about it still, even though I, I don't pray, but there are times I think about it. For instance, when I was a kid, we would pray before every meal mm-hmm. and we would pray before we went to sleep. Yeah. And I thought it's not a bad idea before you eat a meal to take a moment and be grateful right. that you have food. Yeah. A lot of people don't. And if you do, you're lucky and you should just have gratitude for that. And it's not a bad idea at the end of the day to think I got to live for another day. Yeah. This day was a gift. Did I use that gift? Well, did I take that gift for granted? Just take some time to think about it and then go to sleep. And if if anything, I actually think a morning prayer might be better. Mm. Like check in and go, I, Hey, I survived to see the light of another day. What will I do with it? Yeah, what will I do with it? Wow. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that it makes perfect sense for people to to pray if that means something to them. And I don't think there's anything wrong with prayer. And your description of it is really beautiful. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot about religion that is beautiful. And I think there's a lot about religion that is also uh, really damaging and hurtful. And I think yeah. that so many people's experiences will completely depend on how they grew up, you know, what were the messages they were being sent? What what did their church focus on? So, I, I mean, I, I think it's a really complicated subject. And I thought that for it being sort of a background storyline, the show did a really beautiful job with it. I loved that. I even loved that it was, I, don't, I couldn't tell if it was a, a callback or if it was like they'd forgotten this. But when um, Crosby is talking to his parents about what they believe and Zeke was like, well, we taught you baseball. And you remember like yeah. in that earlier episode, Crosby yeah. kind of tells Renee that baseball is his family's church, which I don't think is crazy because it's about communion and togetherness and being, you know, I think grateful the way that they are, you know, it's, it's a celebration every time they get together to do that. So I, I sort of got what they were talking about, even though I can see why Renee would be like, that's not a religion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up that conversation too, because I just, I laughed out loud at this teeny tiny little line. What? I can be Zen. <laughs> just love Zeke like getting offended and kind of angry and going, I can be Zen. <laughs> no, well, and the line that I loved from that conversation was Camille saying that ultimately they were more invested in this world than the next one. And um, I think that's kind of where I landed. So I think maybe that just really resonated with me. I thought that is also a beautiful belief. You know, and and not more or less than what Renee believes, but you know, I think, I think that you mentioned the word reflection earlier. I think reflection is one of the most important things a person can do in their life. I think that it can sometimes be the difference between living a full, deep life, whether you're religious or not, and just sort of existing. You know, not really thinking about why you're making the choices you're making or whether or not you're happy. And it probably is one of those like privileged things like if you're like fighting to survive you know and you don't know where your next meal is going to come from I don't know how realistic it is that you're gonna like reflect whether it's journaling or meditation or prayer but you know that's I think if you can it's a good thing to do and I think that Crosby reflects with Jabbar at the end you know in a really beautiful way and yeah. And, and, you know, obviously I like reflection and that's what this whole podcast is. Right? You know, <laughs> just lots of conversation. But I think I think that's a, a good way to live. Think deeply yeah. about everything. Agreed. You know, I do have a little side note about Renee before we move on from this. Yeah. I want to say that as a character, I love Renee so much. I think she's funny. I laughed out loud when Jasmine was like, well, you know, I don't go to church anymore. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm aware of that. Like the way (laughs) she said that. But at the same time, I fully recognize that if she were my mother, I would be like, oh, you know, she would drive (laughs) me crazy. I would be so mad at someone saying sort of judgy like that, that I don't go to church. But as a character, what a damn delight. And I thought that's that's really fun. I like I like playing that. Um that sort of balance. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's move on to Amber. Yeah. I thought Amber was an example of really nicely handled exposition. Yeah. We just see her working at the luncheonette. Yeah. 
and we can fill in the rest. We didn't get a line like, Amber, now that you're working here at the luncheonette with me and your Uncle Adam. No, we didn't need that because we could connect those dots. And I didn't even really wonder where Rachel was. I was like, it's been five months just didn't work out with Rachel. It's fine. Like, you know, yeah, I I, I appreciated that too, the subtlety. I had a really superficial observation about this storyline, which is that Amber's one night stand has really, really nice teeth. Oh, yeah. They reminded me of Ross's on Friends in that episode where he gets them whitened. Oh, <laughs> like I actually did you think they were. Did you think they were too much? I thought they were distractingly bright. But of course, I knew who he was. Did you know who he was? I didn't. Do you but, want to inform? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, he was um, on American Idol in one of the later seasons when most people stopped watching it. But for some reason, I was hanging on. And I remember finding oh. his teeth uh, distractingly bright um, <laughs> then, too. So, wow. Well, his name is Paul McDonald, and he came in eighth on season 10 of American Idol. That's right. I was not drawn so much to their whiteness. As to their straightness. Ah, yeah. I just put my hands in front of my mouth. So if it sounds different <laughs> on the microphone, You're doing it's because I was mimicking the straightness. <laughs> but especially in the scene in bed with Amber when he's like laughing and stuff. She's like, God, whoever paid for your orthodontia, that is money well spent. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. No, it's funny. I really liked him on American Idol. And I thought it was an interesting choice to play kind of a cad on TV, you know, for an episode. And then I thought, is this a little bit like Jamie Walters, season five and six of 90210? He played Tori Spelling's boyfriend. And at first, it really helped his career because he was this sweet boyfriend and everyone's like, oh, nice. How do you talk to an angel? I'll listen to that song. You know, they're like, this is this is great. And then... And then he becomes like abusive and he pushes Donna down the stairs. That's not good. But Jamie Walters has gone on record to say that that show really wrecked his career. Like no one wanted to listen to Ray Pruitt's music after he pushed Donna Martin down the stairs. How dare he? I get that this is just one episode. I have no idea if this affected Paul McDonald's career or anything. Who, Who played Donna? Tori Spelling. Oh, I see. I think I would thank someone oh, for pushing her down. No, come on, Donna Martin is a treasure. <laughs> She's actually. I thought of her earlier when we were talking about religious characters. I don't remember her character being particularly religious, but it was a big plot point that she was waiting until marriage to have sex, probably because her dad was the creator of the show and didn't want her to have sex. <laughs> but um, it was yuck. It was yeah. I know. I know. But as we've learned from Adam and Had. I guess that checks out. I was going to say, it does kind of tie into this storyline. Yeah, it really does. My next note was, I am so sick of commenting on Adam's ridiculous temper. <laughs> yes. I didn't even, I'm like, I'm I'm refusing to play the scene from the recording session. Like, nope, nope. He doesn't deserve it. No. It, that's just, that is unacceptable yeah. behavior. And Are I'm you a sh- child? I'm sure a lot of people out there probably thought it was very sweet what he did, and I didn't. I, I liked everything Crosby was saying. He's like, she's an adult. She's 20 years old. You know, it, he was like, how can you expect her to learn if you're just going to like fire this guy? You know, and and I mean, I thought that Crosby's comments were giving her the respect 
of treating her as an adult who made a decision. You know, I mean, they both agreed that that guy was a dick. You know, Crosby yeah. was like, that guy's the worst. It's not like... And that, I think, is sweet. Yes, I think that's sweet. That, that their opinion of him might change because of how he treated Amber. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I don't think they're supposed to like that he did that, but yeah. I like that Crosby both didn't like it and was still treating him like a client, which he was. Which, you know, how embarrassing for Amber to make a big scene and kick him out. And she didn't even tell Adam about it. No. And I've got to say, I know you're not playing the clip and I respect that, but the line that I really hated was when he said to Crosby, you don't have a daughter. And I'm like, oh, right. Yes, that's right. Men don't know how to care about women unless they have daughters. That's right. <laughs> you know, I really do hate that. I'm like, Crosby cares about Amber just as much as you do. We don't need to bring in weird <laughs> daughter protective ownership crap into this, even though that's just your go-to, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. And it really was, It. I mean, like you said, it was Adam and Hattie all over again, and Adam and Rachel. Yeah. Oh, just there, it was, you know, the wardrobe rather than having sex. I was just so thankful to Amber yeah. for finally calling Adam on his shit. Yes. Did you tell the band that they couldn't record at the studio anymore? Yeah. Look, I didn't think that Nick behaved in an honorable fashion, okay? Okay, sergeant. I appreciate it, but we are at a recording studio. Yep. It's rock and roll. It's I a... understand it. Listen, Amber, it was my decision, and I'm not gonna stand by and let somebody take advantage of you, okay? Okay, uh, that's noble, but I wasn't being taken advantage of. I was a willing participant, very willing, okay? And I I'm sorry, but... You can't jump in that something like that, regardless of whether he was a jerk. I'm fine, and and you threw away good business for no reason because I'm totally business. fine. Well, it should be. It's got to be because I'm your employee now, and you have to start treating me as an adult because I am. I'm sorry. I really am. I can see how that would. Uh... I just I feel protective. I don't want to see you get hurt. Understand that? Adam, I understand. Yeah, I really do. But can you please do your best to treat me like a normal employee? I will try. I am sorry if I embarrassed you. It's okay. Uh, well, I'm glad you called this meeting. Me too. Thank you, sir. We'll see you at work. I will see you there. All right, show up on time. <laughs> Can you do your best to treat me like a normal employee and just awkwardly kiss me in the rain <laughs> and then comment on my wardrobe <laughs> and like get all weird? I don't know. Uh, I didn't think of that until just now, but um, I actually really liked that scene. Uh, what were your thoughts yeah. on that? I loved it. And, you know, I, I say it's like putting him in his place, but you can hear she's doing that in like the nicest way. Yes. I think she could have been harder on him and I wouldn't have judged her. Yeah. But in actuality, he's not going to change if he gets raked over the coals. Right. But if she is supportive and gives him the the benefit of like I realize why you were trying to do this and the why is very sweet, but I think it's misguided. Yeah. I thought it was very good. I agree. And I really liked that he apologized. And it wasn't like a groveling yeah. kind of apology. And it didn't need to be. I just really appreciated that he genuinely saw it from her point of view. He said, you know, I feel protective. But he also said, I could see where that would 
you know, how that could come across, you know, something like that. Like the literal I could see where was very important. And I don't know if he's ever done that before. And so that felt like growth to me, you know, and, and that's all I ask of these characters or anyone. I feel <laughs> like it's not like I think people shouldn't ever make a mistake. You know, I really, I wasn't mad at Crosby for, I mean, I was mad at him for cheating, but I was more mad that he just kept acting like it was everyone else's problem. And once he sort of like owned up to it, I forgave him. Same here. I didn't like how he acted and firing Nick. And I think that's a bad idea, by the way. Like they're, they have this business and it's, you know, the, you can't just go firing people for personal reasons, I don't think. You know, yeah, yeah I think it's a terrible business model. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I like that he got it. That's all I ask. It's okay for you. I mean, it is who he is, as we've learned doing this podcast. So it really wouldn't have been very believable if he'd done anything else. But that felt like growth. So well, and he got it very fast, but at a speed that I believed, Adam's not an unreasonable person. No. And now that we're discussing it, it makes me realize I'm like, oh, if only he could have had this conversation with Rachel, mm. it might have spared everyone a lot of grief. But that also makes me think Amber was in a unique position to have this conversation with him because they're family. Yeah. I'm sure Rachel, even if she felt exactly the same, might not have been so comfortable being that frank with her boss. Right. Who she had known for not very long at yeah. that point. Yeah. I don't know. I'd be curious to know if this conversation with Amber changed Adam's opinion on everything that went down with Rachel. Yeah. Like, oh, this is what Rachel was trying to tell you when she said, one of the reasons I took this job is because I like that I don't have to wear office clothes. Right. I like wearing this. It's kind of part of me expressing who I am and how I present myself. And similarly, I think it makes sense to then juxtapose this conversation with Amber, age 20, to Hattie a few years ago, you know, 15 or 16. I think it makes sense he would listen to his niece, who's officially an adult, in ways that he maybe couldn't listen to his daughter when she was a teenager, you know, like, yeah, yeah, just a, he loves Amber, but probably his protectiveness might not run as deeply, you know, and maybe yeah. he's able to listen to her when she says she's an adult. And she actually Although is. also interesting to contrast that he had this reaction when Amber had a one night stand with a guy who was in a relationship and didn't tell her. Yeah. And Hattie was having sex with her boyfriend right. of many months with whom she was in love. And yeah. he was in love with her. Like, yeah. good grief, Adam. But anyway. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think that if there is a lesson for Amber to learn I think it might be, oh, it's probably not a great idea to get romantically involved with the clients while they're your clients. But who would have taught her that? You know, Crosby, who dated Lily, you know, like, um, you know, it's just it's it's the Braverman way to just, you know, date whoever you're working with, as we've established. But but yeah, I mean, that's probably not a great idea, but. I don't think that's really the point. The point is that that guy was a jerk. You know, I think if he hadn't had a girlfriend and, you know, wasn't lying to her, maybe that could have been cute. You know, maybe that could have been the start of something. I do remember the first time I saw this episode, I had been a Paul McDonald fan on Idol. I was rooting for him to win. And so I was like, oh, look, here he is. And I was like, oh, this is so cute. They're singing his song in bed. And then I'm like, oh, <laughs> got it. You know, so it wasn't like I necessarily thought it was a bad idea right from the start. It just ended up being a bad idea. Like, I don't think Amber was being like an idiot for, to fall for it. They had banter. They were flirting, you know. Some people are just jerks and they deceive people. Yeah. And do you want to take a moment here 
to answer any listeners right now who might be saying, Caleb, Melissa, just a few episodes ago, Christina interrupted Amber's relationship with someone and you guys were defending it. Now Adam does it and you're all on Amber's side. Why are those different? That's a that's a good point, you know, listeners. Uh, thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> no, but I feel like um, while client receptionist might be a bad idea, I don't necessarily think there is the power dynamic there. And correct. yeah, so I think that might be the main I one. Say correct. <laughs> That's the right answer. I agree. Yeah, I think that might actually just be it. It might be as simple as that. Like, I, I think that Amber would probably be, you know, it might be smarter to wait until the gig was over, but it doesn't feel like, and also he's not like in charge of her. She's working for her uncles. She's not working for him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. And I feel like her consent here was much, much clearer than with Bob, who, yeah, there was a spark there, and I think it was mutual, but then he maneuvered to have her be his assistant instead, and then they snuck away on a trip. Yeah. Just, like, it just did all, it's like, are you really in charge of how your relationship with Bob was going? Whereas here, I feel like she was, and when she found out information that the guy had withheld from her, Clearly they were done. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like, no, I'm going to I'm going to keep going yeah. down this <laughs> questionable road. I was also so proud of her. Like the way she handled it, she just brought the girlfriend to him. <laughs> didn't like didn't, you know, she was like, "Oh, Muffins, lucky guy." Like maybe if the girlfriend <laughs> had been like suspicious, she might have picked up on a tone, but she didn't seem suspicious. She thought she was with a real nice guy. I th- I think that that woman's reckoning is probably coming down the road. You poor know? Chelsea. But yeah, poor Chelsea. Yeah. But I, you know, I enjoyed that she didn't like make a scene because I think she's above it, honestly. I mean, not that that guy didn't deserve a scene, but you know, Chelsea didn't deserve a scene, I don't think. And and I think it was better to just sort of give him a pointed look. And then walk away. Yeah. That was so rad. That was just, yeah, very, and a very adult. And I think maybe that's part of it too. She's really proving to that she's an adult, like that she's mature. I think the way she handled that was. And also her conversation with Adam, she wasn't like, yeah, he was a dick and I'm glad you fired him. You know, she was so clear. She was like, I was a willing participant. Even after he like would prove to be such a jerk, she's able to acknowledge, yeah, I chose that. I didn't have all the information, but I did choose it on the information I had, you know? And I I think that's really cool too. Like how mature, you know, I'm sure it stung, but she's under no misconceptions that she was like in love with him. He didn't break her heart. It was disappointing as I'm sure dating is sometimes. (laughs) So, well, let's discuss Victor, yeah. the new Braverman. Yeah. I wonder if his name is Braverman now or if he has kept Or wait, his... Graham. Graham, correct. Yeah. Okay. Or Braverman Graham. I don't, yeah. I actually don't know. I thought certain things were really interesting just to notice, you know, like he calls them by their first names, right? Which I totally get that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes. And I remember, you know, Jabbar is Crosby's biological son and he called him Crosby for a whole season. It was a big deal when he started calling him daddy. Uh, Could call you daddy. Oh God, oh. that still breaks my heart. It was so sweet. <laughs> but yeah, so like I get that. But I did think it was interesting. Wasn't it in the opening scene where doesn't Joel refer to Julia as mom? Like, you know, mom made... Kind of passive aggressively. Yeah, maybe a bit. Like, and I thought... Your mom made this meal for you. Yeah. 
And I mean, I get not wanting him to sit on the couch watching inappropriate TV and like squirting <laughs> food into his mouth. I get that. But I think the better thing probably to do is to be direct and say, well, we're not watching TV and you're going to sit here. Then it wouldn't be passive aggressive. But of course, that's the entire storyline is how yeah. do we treat Victor? And I do think that's a great storyline. Like that would be so hard to navigate. That would be really, really hard. Yeah. My biggest reservation with that first scene is that later on, like you said, Joel says it's been five months. Yeah. And this was an instance where I thought maybe the time jump between seasons sort of hindered this storyline mm. because I thought five months, that is more than 150 days. That's probably at least 450 meals. Yeah. You haven't established yet that he needs to eat with everyone else. Like that seems like, I don't know. And wouldn't Sydney, instead of saying he, why does he get to watch TV? She'd be like, Five months of this, he gets to do whatever right. he wants. You know, it wouldn't be news to her. It would be how yeah. things are going. And I get that the interesting part of this story would be that adjustment period. But to flash forward so far, then I'm like, well, but now it feels like you're having the like one month experience at the five month mark. And it just felt unrealistic to me. But I'm like, well, what do I know? I've never adopted a child. Right, so right. Maybe well, this is exactly how it goes. And it kind of did make me wish that it had started in season four with Victor instead of him being introduced. Because then you really would get all this very natural, you know, like, how do we navigate this, you know, right from the start? You're right. I didn't even think about that. But it does hinder it a bit because it's like after five months, this is where you are. But maybe it would be where you are. I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. I haven't. And if yeah. they were just really comfortable with each other after five months, I'd be like, well, so you skipped over the interesting part. Right, right. So, so what, yeah. what were they to do? It's, it's a little bit lose lose. You know, and a thought that I had was that um I really can't relate to this, even though I have a brother who's adopted. But the reason I can't relate to it is because, you know, he's 11 years older and he was adopted as a baby. And so he was my parents' kid 11 years more than I was. It's, really, I was like, how interesting would that be to be Sydney's age? And then you have a sibling your age or maybe even a little bit older. Yeah, that that would be that would be such a, an adjustment. And Maybe it would take a while to not feel like your brother was adopted in that sense because you would remember so vividly life beforehand. And that that's that's super tricky. I mean, I've I obviously know my brother's adopted, but I've never felt a, any sort of distinction or anything. But you know, it's just Well, that brings up Max's attitude a little bit yeah. in this scene. Ugh. All right, now this is guacamole. He was my first lizard, and as you can see, he's still alive. Can I hold him? No, it's, it's too risky. You don't know anything about him, and I really don't know much about you. Sydney and Jabbar are different. I let them hold him sometimes. Like, I can trust them. They've been around longer. I mean, technically, you're my cousin, but you're adopted, so it's different. I mean, you're not really even part of the family yet. Let's put him back. Now let us see my guinea pig, Rupert. Okay, Max. Since when did they get a guinea pig? Anyway. They had a bearded not... dragon a couple episodes ago. I mean, that's just like yeah. a real menagerie up in there. Here's my unicorn. <laughs> anyway, that scene, I, I, I thought of your brother. Yeah. And wondered, even though, as you just said, hardly anything about the situations are the same. Right. But Max saying Victor was only technically his cousin. Right. Because he's adopted. 
I thought was really sad. And I wondered if you have ever encountered that attitude from other people about your brother. As you said before, too, your brother is a different race than you yeah. are. So it's very apparent, I would think, to people that, oh, you two are not biologically related, are you? Here are the little maybe microaggressions that I can think of that we've experienced. And I'm sure that Dave has experienced a lot more separate from me, you know. But um, people often think we're kidding when we say we're brother and sister. You know, <laughs> they're like, how do you two know each other? And we'll be like, oh, we're siblings. And people will be like, Haha, yeah, you know, and we're like, no, we are. Um, so that happens. Um, funny as that is. Right, right. And it's not mean spirited, but it is also like, let's exa- let's unpack that. Like, why is that funny? That's like, you know, I mean, so part of me, like, I'm not even really offended. I'm just like fascinated that that's a joke that people of, you know, different races, like, ha ha ha. I don't know. Um, also, this one's a little trickier and a little more difficult, but I know I get compared to my dad, our dad a lot, but, um, Dave always seems so like loving and supportive of that. And he does it too. You know, like if I win some sort of poetry award, you know, my dad, you know, dad was a, he was a writer too. And so Dave will say, you know, dad would be so proud of you. And it's really beautiful. It's one of my favorite things about my brother is that he does that. But I wonder how often people are like, oh, Dave, you're just like your dad, you know, and, and I don't know if he gets that very often. And I don't know, that's that's hard. And I wonder if it would be as hard if dad were still alive, because I do think Dave's a lot like our mom. They're both really stubborn <laughs> and often on opposite sides of things. But they I mean, I have often said that I think that Dave's more like mom than I am in a lot of in a lot of ways. And it's interesting because they aren't technically, you know, biologically related. But uh, so anyway, those are those are some thoughts on that. And it's that's especially sad, I would think, because because Dave is so much older than you are. Yeah. He and because your dad died when you were so young, he really did have a lot more time with him. Oh, yeah. Than you did. Yeah. Not only in the technical sense that I was, you know, 16 when our dad died, but I was six when he had his two major strokes. So the last 10 years I had with my dad, he was very different than he was, you know, before the strokes. He was difficult to communicate with. Um, you know, we, we just weren't very close because, yeah, how can you be close with someone you can't really talk to? And Dave had a very close relationship with him. You know, he had... The the strokes when Dave was 17, so he had this whole thing and then died when Dave was 28. So, yeah, a lot more time or, you know, I might be slightly off on those ages, but roughly. And, yeah, I think that that's something people should take into consideration is that Dave actually knew dad a lot better than I did and was probably much closer to him. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I remember a beautiful poem of yours about that um, with mourners at your dad's wake or funeral. Yeah. Going up to you and sort of looking past your brother. Yeah. That is the sort of thing that, that does happen. Yeah. But I mean, I look a lot like dad, you know, so people would say that, Oh, you look so much like him, your hair and you know, your bone structure. And that must be strange. The idea that like just physical resemblance means anything, you know, Dave doesn't look like any of us, but he's, He's family. I, yeah. And, and, you know, I think that 
that how you're raised means that means something. You know, I, I have cousins who I see once every I have a cousin I haven't seen since I was eight years old. He is technically my blood, but if I were to see him, I wouldn't feel close to him in the same way that I feel close to my brother. You know, it's just, I would be like, oh, right. I'd, I'd feel kind of like he was a stranger or an acquaintance. And so anyway, I mentioned this stuff because what, what Sydney is dealing with and Joel and Julia as well is not having raised him since he was a baby which is right. exactly what they were trying to do, right? Adopt a baby at first. And this would be a completely different situation. And that doesn't mean that you don't get there, that you don't feel like family. But I would imagine there must be an adjustment period with something like that when you're you know, presented with a, a kid who's already had so many experiences. Yeah, for both of them. It was something I thought when it's kind of revealed that Victor did take yeah. the lizard. yeah. I was thinking about it, wondering, why would Victor do that? We don't know much about his history, but he must feel utterly out of control, just at the mercy of whatever situation he finds himself in. His mom is in jail. Hey, Victor, you're going to go live with these people right. now. He doesn't get any say in it. And I thought maybe taking the lizard is just exerting some control over something. Here's what I wrote in my notes. Max really pissed me off and I would have stolen his lizard too. <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> like, I mean, I honestly, everything that, you're saying. What, what's the simplest explanation is usually the correct one. <laughs> Which one is that? I mean, I love. I think that's that. <laughs> I love all the nuance, you know, but like, you know, the, I would have been so insulted. No, you can't touch him. I can't trust you. I'm like, all right, I'll show you. I'll just take him. If I'm so untrustworthy, let's just prove it. You know, you think so anyway. I <laughs> I felt like maybe that was it. And that felt very age appropriate. I mean, it's not a good thing to do. But I also, I mean, Max doesn't mean to sound hateful when he gives him that that speech in the clip that you just played. But I was really taken aback at just how breathtakingly rude that was. And I yeah. also was slightly confused because he was all like, I trust Sydney and Jabbar. And I'm like, well, you know, you haven't known Jabbar since he was a baby either. And I know that Jabbar isn't adopted, but I would think it would be the exact same thing. Like, oh, here's a kid I'm just meeting. And, you know, I know it's Good been point. a few years now, but... Couldn't Max look at Jabbar and think, well, after a few years, I very much trusted him. So I will probably do the same with Victor. But instead, he just gives him this rude speech. <laughs> it's just, yeah. oh, I hated that. Maybe it's believable, but I, I still hated it. <laughs> Here's something so random. Oh, good. And I don't mean any offense by it. <laughs> it just popped I'm into my so head. I'm so excited for what <laughs> you're going to say. When Joel and Julia were fooling around... And ultimately, it was revealed that guacamole was in the room. But before it was clear that guacamole was there, the camera was obviously about to reveal something. And I imagined just for a moment that it was Victor right. in the room just intensely watching them <laughs> have sex and that it was like a bad seed situation and they had a psychopath in their house. It's like, whoa. What would that show be? <laughs> but uh, obviously, it's not going there either. That would be a horror movie instead of instead of Parenthood. Anyway, glad Victor wasn't watching them. That's interesting. Together. You know, I actually thought Victor was going to. I didn't think he was going to just be standing there watching like you. But I thought that he was going to like <laughs> walk in, you know, and then it was going to be a whole awkward thing. So I did think that. 
we get a little reflection from Joel and Julia at the end of the episode about the whole situation. I just need him to feel like we believe in him. It's been five months, Julia. You can't keep walking on eggshells around this boy. Everything I've read says that right now our job is to make him feel loved, trusted, and like he's part of this family. Yeah, and the way you do that is treat him like family. Not confronting him about this is like, is treating him like a guest. God. Joel. What? I feel like I'm waiting to fall in love with our son. I thought Julia's admission there felt really rough. Yeah. But very honest. Yeah. And I would imagine it would be hard with a child who shows up who does have their own history and their own experiences. And you maybe, you wouldn't feel love immediately, I wouldn't think. I think you might feel some responsibility, some duty, obligation, affection. But there's so many parts of being a parent that are really difficult that the love, I think, would make easier. And without it, I think you would have to just kind of like buckle down and go, no, 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 no. I'm going to parent them. And that part will come. That part takes time. But until then, I have to, like Joel says, treat him like family. We eat at this time. They wouldn't let Sydney just blow that off. Yeah. We don't watch these kinds of shows because we are here looking out for you. Yeah. I mean, what kids really need, I mean, it's kind of a cliche, but they do need boundaries and... I think structure. I think that Victor probably, if does if he doesn't want that, he needs it, and he may even want it. You know, like on some level. You know, I'm sure on some level he wants to watch the TV and squirt the stuff into his mouth. But like, I think, I think on another level, he maybe wants to be told, "No, turn that off. Come over here." Yeah. Well, and as I was saying before about maybe he stole the lizard because he wants control over something. I just used the word structure. That is maybe just a, a slightly different slant on the same concept. He, If he has felt blown from one thing to the next and he can't control it, I think it would give him some security and some structure to know now I'm in a place where there's things I can count on. Like we're going to have three meals every day mm-hmm. and I'm going to eat them with Joel and Julia. They are looking after me. And I can count on them to be there when I need them. Maybe it's a test. Will they still want me around if I steal this lizard, if I'm bad? Uh, You know, like, or maybe he (laughs) wants them. If I watch this. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he wants even to just see, will I get in trouble? Testing boundaries, you know, things like that. Something else I wondered when she said, I'm waiting to fall in love with our son. Yeah, like you said, that's rough and it's really honest. It made me wonder, what are the odds that they wouldn't keep him? And what would the reason be? Because I I don't know. Like, I read this uh, memoir a couple years ago by Joyce Maynard, who is most famous for having dated J.D. Salinger when she was a teenager and he was in his 50s. <laughs> so there's that. But anyway, um, yeah, I know. But she she... This memoir was really interesting and it was about how she, like part of it was about how she had adopted a child, but she ended up not feeling a connection and 
sending the child back, basically. <gasps> yeah. And she said everyone in her life did exactly that, you know, like gasped. And she was like, I know it makes me sound like a horrible person, but it felt like the right thing. Like I felt like I'd gotten into something and then was like, oh, this was a mistake. <laughs> And I'm like, whoa, that is honest, you know, <laughs> and I would never have yeah. known that story if she hadn't put it in a book, you know, so I, that's just interesting levels of, of admissions. And, you know, I am certainly not saying Julia and Joel should do that. I don't think they should. But I did wonder when she, you know, who, what happens? You take a child in, you don't feel a connection. I mean, I think you do exactly what they're doing and you keep trying to form that connection and, and you hope that it develops and you feel bonded like a family but then I just I don't know my mind went to all these like weird places where I'm, I mean I'm so glad that that it doesn't seem to be on the table but I'm like wow remember how they just gave verbal confirmation you know they were under the impression they'd be getting a baby and then they get this kid and he needs structure and love and a family and they both just gave that verbal yes yes and then five months later this is their life and it was very quick and uh yeah I mean I think I think you keep going forward but I guess what I'm saying is like should they consider or not if it ends up not working out like I mean whoo that's maybe a horrible thing to say I'm glad they're yeah. not doing it I want to make that really clear but I I also think that was a pretty spontaneous decision and and here they are I don't know yeah. that's well and that's where five months maybe helps the story because if Julia were saying, I'm not really feeling much of a connection after five weeks, yeah. I think the logical response would be, give it time. Right. This is a huge change. Yeah. But if after five months, you're not feeling some sort of bond or affinity, I think it's natural that one would say, is something wrong here? Is something not fitting the way that we all want it to be fitting. I did oddly feel that it was believable that Joel would have an easier time incorporating Victor into their family than she would. And I'm not quite sure why. I wonder if it's because she's more of a control freak, you know, that's a mean term. She, she does like to have a sense of control and probably nothing would show her that you can't control everything like this. You know, Sydney, yeah, is stubborn and but but she's always had a pretty easy time, I think, controlling Sydney's behaviors. You know, and even when she doesn't, it's such a small concession. Like, okay, dress is a <laughs> beauty pageant contestant, right? Yeah. But it's like so wildly out of character and therefore fascinating. Like that first scene where Victor is on the couch, you see Julia correct herself. You know, she starts to say, we don't watch this stuff. And then she's like, uh, don't watch it in front of Sydney, okay? You know, so it was instead like a little concession. And you, we see her acting in ways she doesn't normally act. Like after they ask him about guacamole and he's like, I didn't take the stupid lizard. She's like, I also wanted to ask, how's it going here? Is it going okay? And it felt like this insecure brand of Julia that we've never seen before. And I felt that was very believable. What would make you insecure faster than raising a kid who has not spent his whole life in your home and who is, you know, hard to figure out and hard to read and who I imagine has just incredible amounts of trauma in his past? 
That's huge. And I think what they're doing is beautiful, but I think that we'd be naive to assume that it's, yeah, just going to be super easy and, and you just, you know, he fits right in and there's no adjustment period. And while I don't think that that means, yeah, you give him back. I mean, like, God, that would be so awful for Victor, especially, you know, like, like give him some stability, give him a chance. They're doing the right thing. But I guess I did also think, wow, this is a huge, huge responsibility. And I don't know that they're fully prepared for it. They were prepared for an infant. They had this idea in their head. And now, you know, I noticed that Victor is in the room that they had designed for this child. You know, it still has the same like border on the walls and everything. Mm. I thought, well, you can't just expect this to be a similar (laughs) thing, you know, And, and you wanted another kid and you have one. But it, it is so different from what you expected. And I really, I guess, applaud the show for, I think it's nuanced in ways I didn't even get when I was watching it casually in the past. You know, I, I think, man, now I'm thinking about students I've had who have had, you know, they've been in the foster care system or like the, the lack of trust they have, the, the anger they sometimes have, you know, and, and how sometimes they'll end up in a really good position and things will turn around. They'll they'll be with a family they trust. And so then they start doing a lot better in school. It's really heavy stuff and, and has the potential to be so beautiful and beneficial, but man, how hard. Yeah. I think you're dead on about Julia being a control freak in the way that like, you know, when Zeke had financial problems, her reaction was I'll put together a plan. We'll follow the plan and we'll fix it. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of the way she tackles everything. There's a right way to make this work. And this situation is not going to be that. Yeah. And what you said about it's so not what they expected reminds me of what Lyle said when he was on about parents who have a child with special needs. Yeah. And he com- he compared it to, you know, you thought you were going on a trip to Bermuda and you ended up going on a trip to Belgium. Yeah. And Belgium is really beautiful and wonderful. But there is going to be some time and you go, wait, but I was so prepared for like sandy beaches and clear water. Okay, Belgium doesn't have those things, but Belgium has these other things that are really great. And maybe Julia is still in the phase of going, I'm not in Bermuda. Right. (laughs) What happened? Yeah. It's like, start looking around Belgium. It's, It's maybe a really nice place. You might really like it. Yeah. Well, and it also makes me wonder if she's saying I'm waiting to fall in love with him. Well, that's a very honest sentiment. How does love work? Like, it makes me get very deep with that. And I I actually don't know. Like, I don't know the answer to my question. What would make her fall in love with him? And also, I I guess when I brought up that story about Joyce Maynard. It can't be cuteness because he's cute as a freaking button. He's the cutest thing (laughs) in the world. Yeah. When when she's trying to comb his hair and he's like, the hair's fine. I'm like, the hair's more than fine. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. What a cute little kid. He's got it all. So adorable. But yeah, I mean, it, it makes me wonder, like, is her sole reason for him still being here a sense of duty, obligation? She would feel tremendous guilt if if she was like, we can't do this. We said we would. you know. And then I thought, ooh, which is worse? You know, is it worse to give someone back or is it worse to just feel obligation and duty and not love? And I mean, we're all just hoping, well, she'll get there. 
I guess I'm just asking, what does a person do if they don't get there? Is that is that fair to the kid either? Oh, I don't know. So I, anyway, I just, I don't know that the show ever means to bring that up. It's certainly not in this episode, but I just thought phrasing it that way. I'm waiting to fall in love with my son. I think that's such a deeper and harder statement than if she'd said, I'm having a hard time with this. You know, I feel like, I mean, reword that. She's saying, I don't love him. What do you do with that? Man. Sorry. (laughs) I'm thinking about your question now. What makes you fall in love with someone and not a romantic love, but, you know, a familial love. And I'm trying to think about, you know, the children in my life. Mm -hmm. When did I start loving, you know, my nieces and nephews? Part of it there is complicated by the fact that those children were biological. And that's not to say that that means it's more legitimate, but I loved them because they were extensions of my sisters. Right. Who I love so much. And I knew how much my sisters loved them. So it's like, here, meet the thing that's the most important to your sister. Okay, well, I'm 90% on board already. Right. Right. If they love them, I'm going to love them. And I met all my nieces and nephews to varying degrees as infants. And, you know, in romantic love, people being vulnerable is something that goes a long way. You don't get much more vulnerable than a newborn. Right. I mean, even just holding a baby, there is a sense of, even though the baby may be not intending to do it, they are entrusting their safety to you when you hold them. Yeah. And there is a a vulnerability in that. And then I think that is what elicits a feeling of protectiveness and responsibility in you as you hold them. I don't want anything to happen to you. That goes a long way. And then I know when they start talking and moving and showing some personality, I know anytime one of my nieces or nephews asks me for help with something, that makes me feel very special. Yeah. Not just that I can do it for them, but that they would ask. Yeah. That they know Uncle KB will take care of it. Yeah, I will if I can. Yeah. And that goes a long way. So I wonder if Julia has had moments with Victor where he is vulnerable in front of her. I imagine his entire existence is vulnerable. You know, like, just... Yeah. But I could also imagine that he would be trying very hard not to be vulnerable. Right, to hide that. That his reaction to its inherent vulnerability is protect myself against everything. Right. Which (laughs) makes my heart break for him. Yes. But it does put a wall up that then prevents Julia from feeling like I'm his safe place. He's not ready for that. He probably doesn't feel safe anywhere yet. Yeah. You know, that might explain, I know he's a little older than Jabbar was when Crosby met Jabbar, but you know, it, it does sort of, make me realize that Crosby had sort of a fairy tale experience with meeting (laughs) his son for the first time. You would think there might've been more of a learning curve there, but they just sort of hit it off and became best friends. And I know I'm simplifying. There were some, some tricky parts, but you know, I mean, I think he was in love with him very, very quickly. And I guess some people could argue that that's blood, but I don't really think that's it. I think that he met a little boy who was raised by Jasmine and therefore didn't have any walls up and wasn't protecting himself. Yeah, in a very stable environment. Yeah. Even though it was one parent. One parent, but like that his, you know, Grandma Renee and his uncle Seku, and he felt loved and he knew trust and he had just, 
Yeah. And so he was like in a real position. He was curious about his dad. I mean, that's the whole reason he and Crosby met. But I think that's an, a very big difference. And I think it's much more about that than blood. I think that Crosby could have started dating Jasmine and Jabbar wouldn't have even been his biologically, you know, like Dr. Joe, I think kind of fell in love with, with, uh, you know, and I think Lily fell in love with Jabbar who would not fall in love with Jabbar. You know, it's just, right. he's an angel. Yeah. He's like so well-behaved and so sweet, but I think, yeah, that's the conundrum, isn't it? You know, I, again, as a teacher, some of the, and Mark sees this too, cause he teaches, you know, the little ones, the like elementary, a lot of the kids who act out the worst and who are maybe the hardest to connect with are the ones who need love the absolute most. And that just breaks your heart. You know, it's easy to love the kids who are well-adjusted and, you know, grew up fine and, you know, and, and it's good to love them too. Don't get me wrong, but they need it. And I think it is really beautiful what Julia and Joel are doing. And I think it's, it's worth, it's worth it, but man, it just, yeah, I wasn't expecting to feel so much in this pilot just about that relationship. I, it just really got me. Yeah, and now I wonder: Would recognizing those walls that Victor is putting up not elicit some of that feeling anyway? Right. You know, to see someone who is clearly so in need of love and structure and dependability, and I think maybe it would, but that's almost easier I think theoretically than in practice like when that person is in your house every day and those feelings are manifesting in behaviors right that might be really obnoxious like spraying (laughs) cheese into your mouth and watching torture on the tv or something there would that would just take so much time and even if you knew that you were in the middle of a period that would eventually end, that doesn't necessarily make that period any easier to withstand. And I think you would naturally wonder, how do I know it's going to end? Yeah. I think sometimes whenever you're in something, it feels like it will last forever. Yeah. And, you know, maybe Victor will, will never like Julia very much. And maybe she will never like him very much. Like, I see your point. You can't, I mean, it's sort of like Camille. Don't come up with an answer just because you're uncomfortable with the uncertainty. Yeah. Julia doesn't know for sure, nor does Joel. Joel is just confident and hopeful. Yeah. Maybe Julia is not so hopeful. Parenthood is a show that brings up really hard things sometimes, but I feel like doesn't like dwell in it or live in it, you know? So I don't think it's a spoiler to say it doesn't feel like the kind of show where this will go on forever and, you know, right. right. But like, it is an interesting thing to ponder that I think there could certainly be a show where that is the case. And I think there have probably been real life situations like this. And I mean, you, you hear about kids, you know, in the foster care system and they do get bounced around a lot. And I know the whole point of him going to Julia and Joel was that his mom didn't want him in the foster care system. But, you know, just like marriage isn't a guarantee that nothing will, you know, that it's forever. I I don't know that just because they gave that verbal confirmation, you know, it's a guarantee that they would always be there for him. And I don't know. I just think this storyline feels representative of a lot of things that happen out there with kids who don't have stable home environments. And it's just heartbreaking how many of those kids there are. And 
even when they do end up in a good situation, which undoubtedly, I, I can't imagine that anyone would say Julia and Joel were anything other than a really good situation. That is still hard because of the lack of trust and just bringing all those past experiences. And it must be hard for them too, because they must be learning things that they, you know, were naive about, you know? I don't know about Joel's growing up years, really, because we're never allowed to know anything about the in-laws. But Top secret in-laws. Yeah, but what, what a, an idyllic childhood Julia had and what a blessed life she's continued to have, you know? And so probably meeting Victor has also really shown her, ooh, you know, although she's a lawyer, maybe she knows this already, but, you know, it's one thing to know it conceptually and another thing, like you said, for it, you know, to, to be a reality of your everyday life. And she's a corporate lawyer, not like family lawyer. Right, so. right. Yeah, she's mostly... Maybe she doesn't have much experience with this. Maybe she She doesn't. didn't know what a sky baby was, although <laughs> I hardly think that's the legal term. I don't think it is. We didn't know either. I also want to add, uh, I would bet money that there are biological children that some parents never feel much of a connection to. Who I bet that's true. And they just don't ever reveal that to anyone. I remember reading about Google searches, and I forget what the exact terms were that were searched for or something, but there is data to suggest that a surprising number of people regret having children. Wow. And it's just such a taboo that they don't ever bring it up. So I don't want to imply in any of our discussion right. that, well, because he's adopted, she doesn't feel a connection. Well, and then conversely, I think there are people who like, I mean, you hear stories about people who like adopt a kid because they are close to them, you know, like uh, teachers who end up taking in a, a student that they've fallen in love with who yeah. doesn't really have a stable home environment. Like, I've read about that and I've, I've, I've been able to imagine it before, you know, and, and, you know, like, uh, I've had students who are like in, you know, group homes and such. And, and I think, boy, this would be tempting, you know, because it's this kid and I love this kid. So, I mean, I think it's also possible to love someone so much that you want to adopt them, but it's interesting how in this case, you know, Victor was just sort of like dropped off and, whew, but, you know, back to what you said before, people have told Mark and me before that we would regret not having kids. And so far, I haven't regretted that. And people say, oh, but when you're old, you will. And I, I'm not so cocky. I don't, I don't know. That might be true. But I do think, yeah, people can't say it the other way. You know, you could only say that you regret not having them, but no one would ever say I regret having them. And I hope most people don't regret that because what a sad yes, thing. Yes, good point. You yeah. know? But I, I do think that is an interesting thing. Sometimes I think we just tend to simplify things so much. We, we just want things to be happy. So we're like, it's always a blessing to have a child. And it's always sad when you don't have one. You know, we sort of have platitudes sometimes that I think platitudes are really lazy <laughs> and uh, lacks subtlety or nuance, which is what most of life is. So... Well, let's say goodbye uh, to another Braverman. Yes. Hattie's last episode, last like regular episode. Yeah, yeah. She'll be back, folks. Just <laughs> not very much. <laughs> no, not very much. <laughs> I was um, really glad when you said last episode that Sarah Ramos went to college at this time because, you know, that makes me feel less like she was like 
unceremoniously let go or something. You know, it's sort of nice to be happy for both Hattie and for Sarah. I I loved this storyline because I really saw where everyone was coming from very much and it felt very believable. And I also wondered if everyone wasn't like, I mean, like, oh, nothing's worse than just unbelievably high expectations, which is, I feel like what Adam and Christina are doing for, you know, her last week here, it has to be perfect. We have to do all the things. And, uh, I totally get that. But I also get when Hattie says things like nothing about this week has been for me, you know? Yeah. I think she's right about that. I, yeah, I agree. I sympathized with her there. I was often uncomfortable with those big family moments mm-hmm. that were about me, but largely actually about other people's feelings about me, mm-hmm. like my high school graduation or my confirmation. Yeah. Church or, it's just awkward. How do you be the center of attention in those types of situations? I've never been great at it. I much prefer performing when there were very strict and clear parameters. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go stand up there and do my thing. You're all going to sit out there and we shall not meet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. we don't cross this line. I, that I can do. Yeah. Well, and also something that means a lot to me is um, for things to feel organic and authentic. Something I like about doing this podcast with you is whether it's just us or whether we have a guest, it's not a scripted podcast, which I'm sure is very obvious <laughs> to anyone listening, you know. <laughs> but like, I actually tried to listen to a podcast that I was pretty sure it was scripted. It was a TV rewatch podcast and it was a show that I love. But it felt more like, it was good, but it felt more like a play, you know, or something. And I like just to hear a conversation develop naturally. And I, I sort of bristled when Adam and Christina said, and we want you to set aside some time, just you and Max. And it felt like, oh, you're like cultivating this very special moment. And to make that more complicated, Max isn't the sort of person who you can just have a hallmark moment with and it goes really easily. And so, you know, even when Hattie does what they asked, that's such an awkward scene. And how must that make her feel? Like, God, I I tried, but you, mom and dad, you should have known that's not what was going to happen. What, like, who do you think my brother is? And it just felt like she was being very honest about the whole thing. And they were like wanting to have a memory of their last week with their daughter. And this is what it was like. And she's like, let's just be ourselves. I'm going to miss you, Max. A lot, all the time. I'm going to miss how you're really honest and how you always say exactly what you think about things and how you always know exactly how you feel about things. It's a really rare quality. I'm gonna miss it. Okay. I got your presents. Did you? Oh, now he's interested. Yep. (sighs) It's a weighted blanket. Oh, goodness. I read about it online. Um, it's 25 pounds, and apparently a lot of people with Asperger's find them comforting. So, you want to try it? Sure. How's it feel? Good. Great. All right, I will um, leave you alone. Love you, Max.
So I love you. Yeah, thanks. I wonder if maybe it would have been more effective without I said I loved you. I don't know. That's an interesting point. I think what I liked about her saying that was it felt a little pushy in the way that a person who's just been told to have a magical moment with her brother might be like, look, I said, I love you. Let's do this. Like, I, I know what I was sent in here to do. Yeah. 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 And kind of like, yep, nothing. That's what I thought, you know? And, and I thought both of them acted this so well. And I thought what was interesting about him, like choices he made when she said she loved him the first time, I think he closed his eyes. Like, Maybe he was either just really enjoying, you know, the blanket, like the sensation of that, or maybe, maybe emotion like that actually makes him a little uncomfortable. And that's why he closed his eyes. Like, like, I'm not here for this. This is too much, you know? And when she repeated it, he knew enough to acknowledge that, but was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm uncomfortable. And that's why I didn't say it back. Like, you know, he doesn't say all that and maybe I'm misreading, but I wondered if that was why. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I felt like the moment was manufactured in a way that then put a lot of pressure on Hattie. Yeah. I also feel like on the most sentimental version of this show, and for a second I thought maybe this was going to happen because I didn't remember exactly how the scene ended. I think Hattie would leave. She would say, I'm going to miss you, Max. She would say, I love you. He wouldn't say it back. She would get up, walk to the door to leave Max alone. And just when she got to the door, he'd say, I'll miss you too. Yeah. And, you know, oh, he can say it. He just can't say it face to face. That would be sweet. Yeah. But I appreciated that they didn't go there. Yeah. It's harder to watch Hattie have to deal with. No, he won't say it at all. Yeah. It was a good scene. Very realistic. And I agree with you. I like that. I mean, I feel like this show is really heartwarming, but in a way that isn't overly saccharine or sentimental you know it, it usually doesn't sacrifice realism for those moments and i appreciate yeah. that very much uh quick side note about the weighted blanket unless you were going to say more something more serious i had a note about the weighted blanket too oh Go ahead. my my note is that mark got me a weighted blanket for my birthday year before last it was like quarantine and we're home all the time you know and I'm a very anxious person and it was a wonderful present and I loved it so much it really was very calming and then one of our dogs Sammy ate part of it and then we had to go to the emergency room and they had to like make him throw up and and my mother-in-law like patched it up which was very nice but now I'm sort of afraid to get it out of the closet and use it because if I turn my back for even a second, Sammy will just eat it again. And it's just, I love Does it. Does he eat all your blankets or is it something about the weighted one? <laughs> there are holes in That's every, particularly delicious. There are holes in every single blanket we have. And that's not good. But this one has like little like, you know, beads in it and stuff. And he ate like a whole lot. And we were just kind of afraid that... Anyway, we just, we weren't going to take any chances and (laughs) took him to the all night vet. It was real scary. So Mm. anyway, I love my weighted blanket, but I'm afraid of it. (laughs) (laughs) What? uh, My weighted blanket anecdote is that I'm almost positive this episode of TV was the first time I ever heard about. Oh, yeah. I think it was the first time for me, too, actually. And now they're everywhere. Yeah. Although I've never tried one. Oh. I really would like to. Next time you're over, I'll get it down and you can try it out. I don't know if I want a half-eaten one. 
It's got a little. Start with a whole one. (laughs) (laughs) It was patched up very beautifully. So, Melissa, did you notice that Adam did another Mister Belding in this episode? Hey, what is going on in here? (laughs) No, that one somehow missed me. I'm glad you caught it. I mean, he added it in. Yeah, what's going on in here? And isn't the phrase. Hey, What's hey, hey, going hey. On? It's, hey, 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 what is going on here? Yeah, that's, <laughs> I think that's the exact cadence. <laughs> hey, 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 what is going on here? And that time that, that Lauren Graham did it, I mean, it was comical. It was like right away. Hey, 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 what is going on? It was like when, when Joel says, anyone here a fan of? Rob. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> At Hattie's going away party slash family portrait. I got choked up at that moment between Adam and Christina when yeah. he said, that's our baby. Yeah. And I thought, I am going to miss, I'm going to miss Hattie, but I also appreciate the realism of a child who graduated high school and like a model student, very high achieving, is going to leave for college. I thought that's yeah. what a lot of kids do. And a lot of times on TV, it's like, Oh, suddenly their dream school is the one that's still in town. Yeah. Although on this show, it would not be reaching because it's been established for a long time that it is a college town and the college is very good. Yeah. It's not like I'm Boy Meets World. (laughs) It's like we made up this fictional college and every character you know is going to go there. Same on Buffy. You see Sunnydale. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then I did cry for reals. At Hattie's actual goodbye uh, in the airport. It was beautiful. It was so good. Yeah. It also reminded me a lot of my own because I went to college on a plane by myself. Wow. And I think if you're going somewhere very far away from where you live, it makes sense. I feel like parents would go with the child when you drive them there with the car all packed full of stuff. Yeah. If you're not taking a lot of stuff because it's too far away. Right. Then why is everyone going? I mean, and in my case, we lived in Pittsburgh at the time. So I remember I said goodbye to my mom at our house. Right. And then just my dad took me to the airport and I said goodbye to him there. Then I went to New York wow. by myself, 18 years old. Yeah. And you've lived there ever since. I mean, that does blow my mind. Yeah. Like, And yeah. I went to Ithaca where Cornell is when I was looking at schools. And one of the schools I was considering was Ithaca College, which has a great music program. And I can almost guarantee Hattie's flight is not direct. (laughs) Just if anyone's wondering, (laughs) she's about to get on a plane and probably fly to New York or, you know, some other major metropolitan area and then get on a very small plane and fly to Ithaca. Mm. Well, you know, I didn't even think about it till you're mentioning all this, but I do really love that it was just her parents seeing her off. You would imagine on this show all the Bravermans would have gone to the airport and it would have been sweet, I'm sure, but largely played for laughs, you know, and I like that instead they had the party and the portrait, you know, and that was her chance to say goodbye to the extended family. I even like that they didn't bring Max or Nora, you know, I'm sure they were with Camille or something, you know, like that, no need to explain that, but I thought, yeah, Sarah Ramos deserves for the attention to be on her. Both Sarah Ramos and Hattie deserve that. And so I thought it was really nice that it's not sort of interrupted with Nora Cry. Oh, now I'm realizing, was Nora there? I don't think she was. I don't think so. I don't think so. But it wasn't interrupted with Nora crying or Max, you know, 
doing some maxism like he does at you know burger and pie it just got to be a quiet moment that allowed Hattie to realize how much she was going to miss her family too like I could relate to that I would say that to my mom sometimes I would be like, you have to give me a chance to miss you. <laughs> you know, if, <laughs> if there are lots of calls all the time and lots of expectations of hanging out a million times, I don't know that your first instinct is I'm going to really miss them so much. But, you know, if they like are seeing you off to the airport and being really kind and loving and then she gets to look back, that's when it's going to sink in. You know, I'm really going to miss them. And that was what was so beautiful about her running back out and hugging. And I loved that. Yeah. I also noticed that the face Monica Potter makes when she's about to cry and the face that Sarah Ramos makes when she's about to cry, they look eerily similar. Good casting. As Hattie was in line and you saw her face kind of turn sour and then they cut back to the parents and Monica Potter is sort of like, this hurts. You guys look so much alike. Yeah. I, I just always have thought. Sierra Ramos does look very believably like a blend of those two actors. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, if, if it's a good time to just pour some love on Sarah Ramos, I mean, I loved Hattie this, this rewatch, you know, I just, I, we talked about it a lot. So mature, such a good character. Like just, it, I think in many ways she's the character I see myself in the most. Um, and I'll, I'll really miss her. Like, I think even in a show with a cast this big, I think she really held her own and stood out. And it's a, it's a sad thing to think of the show without her. Yeah, I agree. I didn't appreciate her before as much as I did this time. I think she's a really interesting character and was portrayed very well. And, you know, I might agree with you that she might be the character I see myself the most in. Yeah. I felt very responsible and like I was always doing the right thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> which sounds a little pompous. But when I was in high school, that's how I felt. And yeah, I do think that's largely how I acted. I can't relate with Amber. I never got in a drunken car accident or at least not one that was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm much more a Hattie than an Amber which is interesting because I always loved Amber so much more than Hattie. But maybe the fact that I appreciate Hattie so much this time says something about accepting myself in ways I didn't used to. Or maybe it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it does, though. Yeah, I mean, I used to feel kind of boring, you know, like, oh, I just do the right thing. And, you know, I'm not very wild. And now I'm like, yeah, I'm not. And that's OK. I'm like, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> yeah. Well, with regards to this episode, I thought it was maybe the most successful season premiere yet. I feel like in past seasons, it sort of felt like completely starting over. And I think the big changes right at the end of last season helped this season get off to a faster and more continuous start. Like Victor felt like a continuing storyline. Yeah. Patty going to college had already been set in motion. Crosby and Jasmine are newlyweds now, and we saw how that happened, but we didn't see anything after the wedding. And even Drew and Amy. And then Sarah and Mark, oh, they are engaged now. He asked her last time, and we never heard a yes. It it all felt continuous, even though there weren't specific dangling plot threads. Although I guess yay or nay to a proposal is pretty specific. Yeah, that's true. I remember being so excited that it turns out she'd said yes. I was like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was a really good um, season premiere. Yeah. 
I think what has made some of the other season premieres feel perfunctory is let's set all these new stories in motion. And in this episode, I liked that there were kind of the typical one-off conflicts that we get on some episodes. Like, oh, Renee's teaching Jabbar about praying. Yeah. What do we think about that? Oh, Amber had a one night stand and Adam rode in on his white knight steed (laughs) trying to fix it. Yeah. Let's nip that in the bud right now. Those kinds of things made it feel like we weren't just in chapter one of a new parenthood season. But hey, we know these characters and we understand how they operate and things. And we understand the relationships between them. Yeah, Yeah. we know Renee's religious. Yeah, we know Crosby isn't. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, shall we call it? I think we should call it. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, thanks everyone for listening. Please do follow us and like us, all the social media platforms, except Snapchat. I don't think we're on Snapchat. (laughs) No, we're too old. We don't know how it works. We don't. TikTok. No, don't find us on TikTok. Too old. We have no idea what Reese Witherspoon can pull it off in her 40s. We cannot. We cannot. Nope. She's got her kids to help her. Yeah. We're childless as established. <laughs> so, but anyway, yeah, please like us everywhere. Pay us a visit at our website, parenthoodpals.com. Drop us an email or a rating or a review. And until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true. Hey, pals, we have a few corrections to make. The Bible verse that I attributed to the Apostle Paul, it's actually from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, which says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So my apologies, Matthew, Jesus, (laughs) whoever. (laughs) Sorry I gave Paul the credit. Nice, nice. And I have to apologize to Joyce Maynard. I got some details of that story wrong. I'd read that book like three years ago, and I'd kind of forgotten some of the details. So it wasn't one child she adopted. It was two. And she didn't exactly like give them back, quote unquote. She gave them to a different family. So here are some interview highlights that I found. She said, uh, at the age of 55, with you can say either huge idealism or ignorance, I believed that I care for and make life okay for any child. And I missed doing that. My children were long gone. And so I sought out and easily found two sisters who are of an age that was not going to make adoption easy for them. And I went to Ethiopia and I brought them home and certainly did so with an utter absolute resolution that I would be their mother forever. And very early on in the process, I recognized that they were not in the place that they should be. But I certainly felt for a long time that I must make it okay. And for 14 months, I abandoned pretty much everything else in my life to try and do that. But it wasn't okay. It wasn't okay for them. They needed something that I wasn't giving them. Among other things, a father, other children, a more regulated home life, and I came to realize, and it's not a choice that a lot of people can understand, and I have been much judged for making it, 
but I am making it very clear that I made the right decision for them, that the most loving thing I could do for them was to find them the right home and say goodbye to them, which I did. And of all the people who didn't understand, I think two who did were the girls, who I called my daughters for a long time. I sat them down and I said to them, you know, when I went to Ethiopia to bring you home, I made a promise to all the people who left you there that I would make sure you had a good life in America, and I will make sure you have a good life in America. I think you need a dad. And they did not argue with that one. That is the full story. So my apologies for sort of sum summarizing what I remembered, and it wasn't quite the story. So... Joyce Maynard, if you did listen to our podcast, I, I, I do hope that you listened to the whole podcast so that you uh, get to this part as well. Same to you, Matthew and Jesus. 